This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Now, America's most exciting and legendary movie hero comes to the big screen like you've never seen him before and faces his greatest danger, the phantasm. I want you. Can't be too careful with all those weirdos around. In a soaring new full-length motion picture adventure, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, rated PG, starts December 25th only in theaters. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, everybody, to episode 290 of the DCAU Reveal. I am one of your hosts, and with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our social media accounts, it's Liam. Liam, as we've talked about all month long here, it's a very special time of year, and not just because it's the holiday season. No, no, no. We decided uh, together, mostly you, decided <laughs> that, we, that we were going to celebrate this very month with a special theme because we had two colliding colossal events happening, one being the release of the latest and final Jason Momoa Aquaman movie, mm-hmm. and we also have a very special anniversary happening of Mask of the Phantasm, which of course is uh, 30 years old, coming up here uh, in just a few weeks uh, at the original time of this recording. So uh, we combined it into one fantastic, stupendous celebration that we've dubbed Aqua Phantasm. That's right, Cal, and here we are. This week, as we get to the Phantaz portion of Aqua Phantaz Month, the M is for month. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't remember if we discussed that on air or not last we week. We did, but, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, anyway, uh, we are, uh, of course, talking about the Mask of the Phantasm movie, as you mentioned, and uh, looking back on it, we reviewed that originally in episode eight, if I'm not mistaken. You are not. Show. And you are not as you just said, Cal, this is episode 290. So over 280 episodes ago, when we last uh, gave this a proper review, uh, we did, uh, we've talked about this here and there over, over the years since. We've certainly revisited it and, uh, you know, guested on other people's podcasts to chat about it, but, uh, uh, it's been a while since our show has really just given it the uh, the deep dive, and and certainly not, I think, in the more the more modern. Once we figured out what we were doing, as we said, around around episode fifty or so, when we finally figured out what we were doing on this show, <laughs> uh, we uh, we haven't really revisited some of those older reviews. So, uh, what better time than at the thirtieth anniversary of the movie? than to revisit this uh, this absolute beloved classic that is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. That is right, Liam, and uh, we will, will, of course, get into our re-review here in just a moment. And uh, if you have not heard one of our prior re-reviews, we haven't, uh, we haven't gone back to the well too many times. We did a, about a month's worth of re-reviews 
last, uh, I believe it was last fall that we did some re-reviews. Uh, you can check those mm-hmm. out in the archives at dcaureview.com. Uh, but uh, our, our self-imposed rules with re-reviews are we will restate and revisit our original scores. We're not changing the scores officially. Correct. Officially, the original scores are what they are. Uh, but we are allowed to certainly critique and uh, give an updated score of if we could change them, what they would be. So we will talk about that as we go through here and revisit our original scores. Boy, uh, I have some regrets. I'll just state that. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. But before we get into that, Liam, a quick reminder for all of you listening at home, uh, we would love your support for the podcast and one of the easiest and uh, best ways to do so is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do so and you leave a nice little blurb about it and we end up reading it here on the air, we will send you a little thank you note and uh, a little thank you gift if you're here in the continental United States. So no reviews this week for us, uh, but we did have a a nice little streak there for a while where we were getting some uh, five-star reviews there. So uh, plenty of time to pick that back up if you want to send Liam and I a very special Christmas gift. That's uh, that's one way of doing so. Head over to Apple and uh, leave that five-star review. Liam, before we get into our re-review here as we revisit some of the uh, our four categories, and uh, we will, of course, get the official IMDb movie synopsis in this case. It's not the episode synopsis. It's the IMDb Internet Movie Database, The putting the movie in the Internet Movie <laughs> Database in this case, synopsis for this week's review. And, of course, it is for Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which we've already stated, came to movie theaters, that's right, back on December the 25th, Christmas Day, 1993, to very little pomp or circumstance. Uh, but uh, yeah, meaning we are uh, just about uh, two weeks away here at the uh, at the original original air date of this episode from celebrating the 30 year anniversary of this movie's debut. Absolutely. So this is the synopsis for Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, which was written by Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Martin Pasco, and Michael Reeves. And directed by Bruce Tim, Eric Radomsky, Kevin Altieri, Boyd Kirkland, Frank Parr, and Dan Reba. Uh, in future episodes, we might get into the specifics of who directed what and what exactly a sequence director is versus a regular director, but we'll get to that uh, down the road. But all of those people bringing with you, of course, with the score by the legendary Shirley Walker and animation by two we actually had two of our studios we had dong yang and spectrum work on the animation for this week uh and with all of that out of the way the synopsis reads as such batman is wrongly implicated in a series of murders of mob bosses actually being committed by a new vigilante assassin all right i i mean not bad. I think you left some. You probably left some meat on the table there. You left yeah, some. That's, that's like a. If you were in in the olden days of a newspaper, if you were like looking up the blurb for what's new at the theater this week, mm-hmm. that's probably about how many words you'd get to describe the movie. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, obviously, I think we we talked about this a little bit before we went on the air, Cal. I don't think this is this film of of all the things we will ever talk about on our show. If one thing doesn't need us to break down or or recap the plot beat by beat, it's this movie. This is probably one of the most 
known and beloved and talked about pieces of uh, pieces of media to ever come out of Warner Brothers animation as a whole, much less the DCAU. Um, but uh, as a as a quick overhaul, uh, just as a refresher, if you didn't have time to go back and uh, and rewatch the film before our our episode this week, it, it tells sort of a a dual story. We see uh, the present day. There's this mysterious figure that's uh, murdering mob bosses throughout Gotham City, who we uh, find out as the movie goes on has have sort of a a loose connection to each other, and that connection is through this mysterious Beaumont family. And we find out not only the father, Carl Beaumont, who was sort of the uh, the finance man who was helping all of these mobsters launder their money, but uh, not only that, but his daughter, Andrea, actually has a connection to Bruce Wayne, and specifically to Bruce Wayne before he was Batman. That's right, yes. Uh, we get we get the true origins of, of Batman's past and how he came to be, <laughs> one might say. To one borrow, might say. To borrow a, a phrasing. Uh, but yeah, we, we learn a little bit about this, and this is all through several flashback sequences that come throughout the, uh, the entire film. And uh, in, in this case, there's some, some different things that trigger it. Uh, Bruce is having a party where he gets a drink thrown in his face by uh, a spurned woman who reminds uh, a bunch of other gaggling women that, uh, that are guffawing all over Bruce that uh, he's the type to uh, wine and dine you, but then once you're ready to, uh, to settle down with him, he, uh, he'll go ahead and forget your phone number. Come on, Bruce, all alone in this big mansion. Haven't you ever thought about marriage? Even once. Oh, never say the M word in front of Bruce. It makes him nervous. What about the I word? The I word? Engagement. I'd watch out for Bruce if I were you girls. First, he wines and dines you. Makes you think you're the only woman he's ever been interested in. And just when you're wondering where to register the china... He forgets your phone number. <gasps> That's Bruce Wayne's style. Bruce? Excuse me. Oh, it's awful. Bruce? Bruce? A friend in need? Councilman? So how goes the bat bashing? Better than your love life. Really, Bruce, it's almost as if you picked them because you know there's no chance for a serious relationship. At least since that one girl. What was her name? Anne? Andy? Andrea? Yes, Andrea Beaumont. Now, there was a sweet number. How'd you let her get loose? Thanks for the handkerchief, Arthur. You know where you can stick it. So, after another uh, drink is thrown in his face, a, uh, a local politician... Uh, shows up and offers him some uh, some uh, he, he gives him his, his handkerchief as a as a uh, as a uh, consolation and it is none other than Arthur Reeves. So Arthur Reeves is the local councilman who happens to also be uh, having this. It seems cliched at this point that the local councilman is the guy that has the war on Batman, but <laughs> it's a time honored tradition uh, in the in the Batman universe to have uh, him at odds with local government, and in this case, it is no different as Arthur Reeves seems to be campaigning very heavily on an anti-Batman front. And uh, he is at odds with the with uh, with the commissioner, of course, who uh, who is believes Batman is good for the city, and of course is working with Batman. But 
Arthur Reeves has this run-in with Bruce, so it triggers this memory of, of Bruce remembering uh, his first love, and we get a little bit of the background as they were introduced at the grave site uh, where Bruce was uh, visiting his parents at grave, and uh, he, he overhears a voice, and uh, they have this conversation uh, between this young lady who turns out to be Andrea and uh, she mentions that she was kind of talking to her parents and, or talking to her mother rather, who is passed, and she's uh, kind of sharing her life with her. And Bruce mentions that he too talks to his parents and that he has made an oath to them, and that he's working on keeping that oath. So this kind of sets up the the dichotomy of not only the relationship between the two of them as they're very flirtatious, mm-hmm. but also what's gonna. The story, how the story is going to play out, as Bruce is working on fulfilling this oath that he's made to avenge his parents' death, mm-hmm. and he's still in the process of figuring out how that's going to play out. We see a very early Bruce Wayne sort of taking on uh, a bunch of thugs as they're trying to to rob a rob a warehouse, and we see him using all of his tools at hand in this flashback. He's wearing a mask, a ski mask, and dressing in black, but. Uh, he remarks to Alfred after all of this that uh, despite a victory and being able to take the criminals down, they weren't afraid of him and he needs to find something to strike fear into their hearts. So we're getting this sort of the story arc of Batman's origin happening, uh, running parallel to this romance with uh, with Andrea, mm-hmm. who is clearly kind of putting him at odds with this oath that he's sworn uh, mm-hmm. to his parents. And this ultimately is where this conflict is going to, to come to a head as uh, all of this in the flashback ultimately leads to even more heartbreak for Bruce as he's sort of struggling with this idea, can he be Batman? Can he can he avenge his parents' death and have a normal romantic life and he comes to the sort of conclusion that that's not possible after he has this run-in with a group of thugs his attention is diverted when he he sort of fears for Andrea in the midst of the conflict Mm -hmm. Uh, and then he kind of comes to this conclusion that both can't coexist what am I still doing this for? gotta be one or the other i can't have it both ways i can't put myself on the line as long as there's someone waiting for me to come home miss beaumont would be glad to know you feel that way master bruce she's holding on line one sir master bruce alfred i can't not now what shall i say sir i don't know i just don't know which kind of leads us to, is he going to pick the Batman or is he going to pick Andrea? And uh, this is all happening happening simultaneously as these mob bosses back in, in the present time are being picked off one by one by this mysterious assailant. Exactly. So that, uh, that, that sort of creates, and in the flashbacks we're seeing him being pulled in two directions. As you said, he has this great love for the first time, perhaps since uh, you know, since his parents' death, as as he says later on in the film, 
he's feeling you know he feels that sense of happiness but he also they're they're keeping these these quite uh, natural not natural disasters but naturally occurring phenomenon <laughs> that seem to be uh, the universe uh, striking back at him when he tries to take this happiness from the first time he meets her all of a sudden the dark clouds roll in and then later on you know he's pleading in front of the grave and it's raining and thundering and lightning and doesn't mean I don't care anymore. I don't want to let you down, honest, but but it just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? Look, I can give money to the city. They can hire more cops. Let someone else take the risk. But it's different now. Please. I need it to be different now. didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Please, tell me that it's okay. And then, you know, and then when he proposes to her, finally, he, the, the bats come rising out, out of the cave to be really on the nose about it, like, of him being, uh, you know, being sort of pulled in both directions. But yes, in the present day, it is, it is worth noting that Part of the the anti Batman campaign that's launched by this uh, this Arthur Reeves is because Batman is seen at the uh, at the cr- scene of the crime by uh, by some civilians. They see the aftermath. He had broken in to sort of take down the thugs and and the mob bosses. But the uh, the first mob boss, Chucky Saul, is uh, is. Uh, dealt with a little bit more harshly <laughs> but batman is seen sort of standing near where uh, where where saul's body is so the public is sort of unsure whether or not it is actually batman or not that is uh, that is taking down these these mob bosses for good and we see uh, another one buzz bronski get taken down in a graveyard in a very dramatic scene chucky chucky you always were a loser Huh? Who's that? Buzz Bronski, your angel of death awaits. Get away from me, you freak!
Mr. Bronski. Farewell, Mr. Bronski. As, uh, as Batman is, as, is in the graveyard, he's uh, investigating. He happens upon first his, uh, his parents' grave, and then in, in mirroring the flashback we've already seen, he sees that Andrea is back in town, and, uh, and so he decides that he's going to follow her and uh, sees that she is also uh, involved with the, this same councilman, Arthur Reeves. And so it seems like all of these pieces, all of these pieces of the the quote old gang are coming back together just as this mysterious figure is coming back into town and as uh, as the mobsters get a little bit more desperate the the last the last remaining boss Sal Valestra turns to uh, uh well as Michael Caine's Alfred would say to a man he didn't fully understand I believe is how that <laughs> phrase goes and uh, we see him arrive at this this uh, hollowed out old world's fair building which we actually see Bruce and Andrea visit earlier in the film when it was active. A fantastic it, set piece. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, also we see Bruce get the idea for the Batmobile. But uh, but yes, we see that the Joker has made this his hideout. And uh, so Valestra sort of uh, just begs the Joker to get involved and stop, uh, stop Batman from taking out any more of the bad guys. And Joker agrees, but uh, he's going to do it his way, of course. He... he we don't know if he's dead for 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 keeping this a PG rated <laughs> children's film. We don't know that he's dead, but as the phantasm uh, happens across uh, uh, his house, we see that Valester has that uh, that trademark Joker grin on his face and also has a uh, a bomb strapped to his chest as he the gone. Joker is, wa- is watching <laughs> from a uh, security camera that's taped to Valester's chest. So there's a, there's a big chase sequence. Batman is quite nearly unmasked by uh, by the, by the cops and our favorite, the returning, <laughs> ever incompetent uh, Gotham City SWAT team, who uh, launch first fireworks, j- just just open fire with heavy machine guns at a building in a construction in, in, in construction an open site. construction site, um, and then they hit they hit uh, some sort of chemicals that, that explode, which so the whole building goes up, probably the whole block goes up, mm-hmm. and then they respond by opening fire on uh, what they think is Batman swinging through the city, but he's attached to the police helicopter. <laughs> they open fire and on their own helicopter. It's a miracle there weren't uh, like fifty <laughs> cop fatalities, much less however many civilians might have gotten caught in the uh, in the mi- in the uh, in the middle of it but uh, this allows Bruce and Andrea to sort of reunite in the present day and uh, we see them much like we're, we were seeing them uh, fall in love in the flashbacks we see them begin to fall back in love as she explains a little bit that uh, she basically without saying this directly she implies that the phantasm is none other than her father Carl who has come back because he feels that uh, with all the money he owed to those mob bosses, that there's no way that they could uh, they could ever be safe if if any of these mob bosses, any of the people that knew her father, are still alive. And this was ultimately I don't know if, I can't remember if you just mentioned that or not, but ultimately what caused Bruce and her not to uh, this whole this whole movie kind of sets up the idea that Bruce is going to make the decision between Batman or this relationship. Right. He chooses the relationship, but then. 
uh, Andrea's father ultimately is being held up by the mob for his shady business dealings with them and is forced to abscond in the middle of the night with Andrea to Europe so that they don't die, essentially. Absolutely. So they, so yes, uh, Bruce proposes, she accepts, but uh, as she returns home, she's uh, informed by her father that they have to leave town immediately and they can't tell anyone where they're going. This time tomorrow we'll have the money. Or I'll have your heart in my hand. Let's go, boys. Dad, are you all right? Pack a suitcase. We've got to get to the airport now. What? But you said you'd have the money. It's not that simple. The money's tied up in investments. Could take weeks to free up. But I can't leave. Bruce proposed to me we're going to get married. Listen to me. I just used up the last shred of pity Sal Balestra has. If I don't pay him back within 24 hours, they'll find us and they'll kill us both. Sal, why'd you do this, Dad? Why'd you get involved with these people? I'm sorry, Andy. I just wanted a chance for you. I'll get you out of this. Somehow we'll be free of those guys, whatever it takes. That's a promise. And so it leaves Bruce with uh, holding the bag, sort of. She returns the ring with a note, and uh, that gets to. And we'll, we'll certainly talk about. We'll talk about this in probably every category <laughs> right. today. But uh, we do see the the first time Bruce becomes Batman, and the and the transformation physically and emotionally that he goes through when he puts that cowl on, and that really gets at the heart of the idea of that his. His becoming Batman is not a happy tale, and we can we can look forward to like Batman Beyond, and we see we we know where he ends up, and it's mm-hmm. like this was it. Yep. This was this is the sliding doors moment where it could have all been so very different yep. for him. And uh, but uh, as as she turns him down and, and disappears, he he marches off into his destiny to become Batman, and. Uh, so yes, as we get back to the present day, the Joker attacks Arthur Reeves and infects him with Joker toxin, and here we get sort of the uh, the reveal of what really went down, which is that Carl uh, uh, Beaumont had reached out to Arthur to try to help him cover their escape, his and Andrea's escape, and uh, Arthur Reeves also, uh, being an enterprising young man at the time, looking to jumpstart his political career. No real world implications here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, decided to sell out his former boss in, uh, in exchange for some capital from, uh, from, these, uh, from these mobsters and sold out <laughs> Beaumont's location. Why did the Joker meet with you? (laughs) It has to do with the gangster murders, doesn't it? He thinks you're involved. Why? I don't know. (laughs) That's not the answer I want. Boma needed me to help him and his kid get out of town. He kept in touch. When was the last time you spoke to him? Years ago, my first election campaign, I was running out of money and asked Beaumont for help. (laughs) He said no. So you sold him to the mob. (laughs) I was broke, desperate. They said all they wanted was their money back. 
one final flashback where uh, they're on uh, Andrea returns to some beach house somewhere uh, somewhere in Europe, uh, coming back with uh, to talk to her dad, and she sees none other than a man who has a very familiar looking nose. Uh, <laughs> so familiar, if you just draw a little <laughs> little happy face on him, you'll, it's clear. You'll recognize it, but she quickly recognizes him as one of Valestra's hitmen and rushes into the house and though we don't see uh, Carl's body we hear a terrible scream and that uh, cuts us back to present day for our grand finale which is first a knockdown drag out fight between Andrea who of course unmasks herself reveals that she's the phantasm as the Joker had also sort of put it together knowing that he had killed Carl Beaumont. Right. <laughs> he knew it couldn't be Carl Beaumont and he knew it wasn't Batman. So Joker sort of puts it together. They have a, a bit of a knockdown drag out fight. The Joker uh, almost kills her by shoving her into a or turning on a giant jet engine mm-hmm. and nearly uh, making mincemeat of her. But Batman arrives just in time to stop that. And then uh, sort of tells her that this is her one chance to, uh, to he's going to let her go and, and uh, yeah, they they have this sort of heart to heart where he he begs her, Batman uh, begs someone else not to uh, to follow the path of vengeance and not to follow this this uh, one way road down a down a dark path. And uh, so seemingly Andrea leaves. We get a big knockdown drag out fight with Batman and the Joker, which we'll certainly talk more about in visuals in a minute here. But uh, after they uh, they just wear each other out, to say the least, including flying through a big jetpack and they're flying all around the city and crash landing, uh, the Joker is, is just as beat up as Batman, seemingly. And then uh, Andrea reappears and has uh, decided that she's not going to take Batman's advice. She is going to take this final bit of vengeance. And she and the Joker disappear into a large puff of smoke just as the explosives that the Joker had set up uh, just engulf the entire uh, uh, city of the future um, that uh, that Joker's hideout was uh, was set up in, and Batman just barely escapes and uh, uh, with his life. But uh, it's it's not really a happy ending. But we get a little bit of an epilogue here with uh, with Batman and and Alfred speaking. I couldn't save her, Alfred. I don't think she wanted to be saved, sir. Vengeance blackens the soul, Bruce. I always feared you would become that which you fought against. You walk the edge of that abyss every night. But you haven't fallen in, and I thank heaven for that. But Andrea fell into that pit years ago. And no one, not even you, could have pulled her back. Um, as, you know, Bruce Bruce laments how he, he tried so hard to save her, and wanted to keep her from going down this dark path and alfred as best as he could tries to re to reassure him that uh, there really wasn't anything to be said or done for andrea that that she had taken she had made a decision and taken a certain path years before uh this very moment and there was really no getting her off of that path and uh but our our little twist ending is that she is alive as uh, as she returns this locket to him with uh, with their picture together from when they were a couple in it and uh, we get a little cutaway to a a yacht leaving Gotham where uh, we see Andrea standing alone sort of not wanting to be bothered by this by this uh, foppish uh, <laughs> uh, slick guy that tries to come up and hit on her she's not she's not interested she he asks if she wants to be alone and she 
lets him know that she is already. <laughs> Quite a sight. Yes. I'm sorry. Do do you want to be alone? I am. And then we, we get our, our last final shot of Batman sort of standing silently lamenting all of the events of the film and also the, alone, poetically. Also alone. Also looking out over the city and uh then we see the bat signal in the sky, and uh, as as uh, a wise man once said, the adventure continues. So yeah. that's where we we end it here. It's not a it's not a happy ending for for anyone involved, and, uh, and that wraps up the the recap here. So coming back to this, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air. <laughs> um, let's let's set the set the uh, set the table yeah. here. We. As we said, this was uh, episode eight that mm-hmm. we reviewed this, so 282 episodes ago. Right. Plus bonus episodes, right. not even counting those bonus episodes. So five, five years. years. Over five. Over five years. Almost say. six years. <laughs> uh, so we really hadn't kind of settled in, and we hadn't really gotten into, like, what what a great piece of art i'm, I'm just excusing yeah. us because some of these scores are embarrassing like compared we to what were, we've done yeah, before i think we were a little afraid of like heaping too much praise like feeling like we were going to give too many high scores early and then have nowhere to go but down right yeah um which man it boy no if we had only watched like you know if we had known the the terrible trio or <laughs> unity or some of these things we've covered were i think we we, we were coming up episodes on with bucky we had already done we had already done the underdollars dollar yeah. in the bad episode jar so that was like the floor so we knew that it was like all right this is this is bad right but to that point i think you kind of pinpointed it right before we went on the air you're like I think we had phobia of giving high marks or overly <laughs> high marks. We had given a couple of tens out for music. We hadn't really given out ten for animation or plot or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so our original scores, mine was an eight out of ten. Yours was a seven out of ten. Were the original scores? Mm-hmm. I I think I would bump this up to a ten. Mm. Looking in in retrospect, I think at minimum I'd give a nine. Yeah. I think I think realistically. Knowing all that we know about it, kind of like taking the, we've also watched it a couple of times maybe since then, or I've watched I've watched it a couple of times right. since then. So I think just knowing what we know and some of just in the last five years, some of the absolute garbage that has put out been put <laughs> out when it comes to DC properties, um, not directed at any one project or anything, but just the Flash. Yeah, right. <laughs> Some of the, the movie, the movie, the yeah, the show's yeah, yeah. fine. The show is fine. Um, I, I think, I think writing a good Batman movie, this makes it look so easy. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that ultimately is what I've learned from reviewing this multiple times now, or looking at this multiple times in the last six years, is that this movie makes it look very easy, but somehow 
a lot of times it, it re- in recent years it's become very difficult for people on how to write so maybe it's because this is so good this is the <laughs> high standard that yeah. we look to um i mean matt reeves batman movie we both loved that that yeah. was really good it took some elements from this and all and the animated series mm-hmm. and stuff like that and i think has done the best to adapt that into a live action uh certainly better than than batman forever batman and robin uh, I I think better than the the Christopher Nolan films in that in that sense of the mm-hmm. word. But I think that I would I would venture to say just just thinking about the way even as we're watching it here today for for this re review, like the idea that the whole thing is set up to have Batman be the one to make this choice, but ultimately the choice is taken away from him. Yes, and it's Andy's relationship and with her father who gets involved with this seedy group of mob bosses that takes the decision away from Bruce so it's almost as if he's pushed to be Batman whether he wanted to or not right like like you said like everything leads up the lightning strike at the grave telling him he's got to fulfill this you know almost telling him the bats when he proposes (laughs) all of this is leading up to this and he's in my in my mind, before watching this, uh, watching it for this re-review, it was almost like, all right, well, he's still very heavy-handed back and forth. He doesn't, and he is, but he says, screw it at the end. I'm going to be happy. I'm yeah. going to propose. And it's still like, fate just says, nope, you're Batman. Yeah. It's the tragedy for both Bruce and Andrea in this movie and how they sort of have the choices of and on the other hand it's Andrea does is the one but she she has that choice because the choice is leave with her father in the middle of the night or they're going to kill you right like she has no choice either right. she so it's like these two people that are sort of that both are stripped of the, their seemingly one chance at true happiness by things that are out of their control, whether that's, like I said, literally it feels like the literal universe pulling Bruce towards one side, or in that case where he gets the letter saying, I can't marry you, I'm gone, don't look for me, Right. basically. And she, and she on the other hand, is she's pleading with her father. You know, Bruce proposed, we're going to get married. We're going to, like, mm-hmm. like I, found, I found happiness. I found family with, with this person. And and her dad just being like, they, we gotta go, we gotta go. There's no like he, there's no second of thought because all he's thinking about is his own survival or right. their own, his and his daughter's survival at that point. Um, so it's this this way that both of their their destinies are thrust upon them through this what without them being able to be the one who ultimately makes that decision. The way they become you know a, a mirror of each other in a mm-hmm. lot of ways and why they're why they're you see why they grew together and ultimately what would push them apart is it was it was an even darker path that Andrea ended up on because not only you know she lost her happiness and and the path that was sort of chosen for her was also <laughs> was then also stripped away from her once you know once Reeves sells sells out her father to the mob. And thinking about that, also the the added layer of tragedy to her story is is that once her father is dead, like he pays, he should he obviously was guilty of of 
being in the bed in, in bed with the mob right and working with these guys and she's sort of like there's a conversation that she has with bruce about about sal Valestra being mm-hmm. his client and she's like oh it's just what he does he works with people's money blah blah mm-hmm. blah but she sort of excuses it obviously he he's working moving the mob's money around he's mm-hmm. the whole guy that's kind of linking these two guys helping them succeed helping them evade you know the watchful eye of the government with how their 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 money's being used mm-hmm. once he's dead he's sort of kind of paid for the sins he's reaped what he sowed for being involved with uh with the mob right, right. she they weren't going to go after her she was she was free to live. Mm-hmm. She jumps back in and decides that her life is going to solely revolve around seeking vengeance, which is why we get that what will vengeance solve. Yeah. She could have left that all, come back to Gotham at that point. And based on the interactions that we see with her and Bruce, where Bruce is once again thrust into this, what do I do? Do I stay Batman? Do I... We're very much still in love. Like, what do I do now that she's back here? He definitely gives that a thought. So if she had, she like gets in her own way again by seeking vengeance and, and prevents them in her tragedy from being able to kind of have this resolution of happiness. She, she sort of takes the burden of her dad's uh, involvement with Mm -hmm. these guys on and it causes her to have a, have a have a right. tragic in, end, in, ending in her zeal perhaps to take to finally like be the one who has the agency to take control for the first time since all of these decisions were made for her from leaving to you know her father then being killed like you said like she could theoretically go back and and start a new life but she wanting to have that control feeling like mm everything else in her life is gone her mother was already gone obviously as far as she knows she doesn't know that bruce is batman until she comes back to gotham Mm -hmm. so as far as she's concerned playboy bruce wayne has moved on with his life Mm -hmm. and so she feels like she has nothing but the so the only way she can take her own like she can feel like she has power she can feel like she has agency in her life now is to exact revenge on these people that hurt her and hurt her hurt her family and that's the only thing she had. and she she even says that when she when she and batman are discussing it at the end she goes i'm not saying she says yeah i don't even think what i'm doing is sane i don't even think that what i'm doing is a good thing mm-hmm. but it's it's all i have it's right. all all she is now is this rage and and hurt and this and this you know this horrific uh, trauma that she's been through is all that is left of her at that point. And it's, and it is really tragic. And that comes down to that final conversation that Alfred and Bruce have in the Batcave at the end when, when Alfred, I think very matter of factly points out that like, you're, you guys aren't that different. Like you could have, you could have ended up exactly like how she was just completely consumed by rage and vengeance. But you, but Batman hasn't he for whatever reason whether it's alfred's influence whether it's his you know his sense of morality and you know instilled by his parents whether it's his relationships with you know commissioner gordon and robin and whoever else in his life whatever it was was able to pull bruce back from that abyss as alfred says 
but Andrea didn't have that. She, there was no one else to pull her out of that abyss at the at the eleventh hour, and so all all she has left is this this rage inside of her, and so that's that's what she decides to do with it, and that's what creates this this beautifully tragic ending to this story is just that there isn't even even. Batman, even when she does re-enter, you know, when Bruce does re-enter his life and she finds out that he's Batman and it feels like they could begin over, they could begin again and, and, and create a life with each other, it's it's just too late. She's just too far gone into this this world of, of, of vengeance, as, as they say. Um, and yeah, it's 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 such a it's such a downer ending, but it is, I think, a great idea of looking at how how tragic in some ways Batman is. Like, we all know the origin story. We've seen it in every movie. Um, we all know that... <laughs> Except this one. We right. didn't see it in this no, movie. They, they, do, uh, they do avoid the the alley and, and little Bruce seeing his parents get shot. But we all know that. We all know that there's tragic elements of Batman, but it feels like it's always... In a lot of it, it always feels like, okay, he had the tragedy, then he became Batman. It's like, no, one of the great tragedies of Bruce Wayne's life is becoming batman mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and again we know this because one day he ends up alone in his house with a dog and nobody else right like that was uh so that really struck me watching this now and obviously when they were making this in 1993 they didn't know they were going to do batman beyond <laughs> and that bruce was going to end up old and alone in a house by himself but it, it struck me as that it's like oh no that was it right that was the one time where this version of bruce wayne at least could have been anything resembling a normal or happy person or you yeah. know, a well-adjusted adult <laughs> like yeah. and and you see that and we'll t- talk about this probably more in visuals and voice acting too but you see that in the way that alfred reacts to it like he so tries to push bruce towards her both in the flashbacks and when she comes back uh you know in present day he he wants more than anything he wants bruce to be happy he wants bruce to see some sort of life for himself outside of batman and the the look of horror on his face when he hands bat when he hands him the cowl and and he turns around and looks at him like it's so it's like it's this this tragedy also for this parental figure in bruce's life as he even though alfred's not a huge player in this you do feel in those moments of him just wishing you can see the pain of alfred the pain of a of a parent or a parental figure being unable to take the pain away from their kid like and i think that's i think and to that point i think that that's why that conversation at the end alfred talking to bruce about how how there's nothing that he could have done to change or to save is alfred also talking to himself yeah he couldn't do anything to change bruce he couldn't he he does spend an awful lot of time encouraging reminding bruce even at the end where bruce is sort of where andrea comes back into his life and he's like i don't know what to do alfred reminds him he says your parents would have wanted you to be happy yeah that's what he like that's the theme that he continues to have the conversation that he continues to point back to is that he sees happiness in Bruce in this with this woman that he's never seen since his parents have died mm-hmm. and he's begging he's trying to pull Bruce back from that dark from that dark area to pull him back in and there's nothing that Alfred can do yeah. to kind of to kind of pull him he his 
focus becomes letting him not fall in the dark abyss that he talks about yes. in that final conversation, right? He's He's gone to the acceptance piece where Bruce will not be anything other than Batman. So that conversation that he has, yeah. has with Bruce at the end is a little bit, I feel like, of self kind of self therapy and mm-hmm. that realizing you there's nothing you can do to prevent to make Bruce accept happiness. Bruce yeah. has to decide that for himself and mm-hmm. he recognized that Bruce a long time ago decided happiness wasn't for him. It's this oath that he made to his parents and that's yeah. the focus. So there's a little bit I mean there's so there's, I was gonna say and expanding even further out, uh go it's like mirror that scene to Bruce in Robin's Reckoning mm. talking to Dick Grayson in the bedroom mm. where he tells him there's nothing either of us could have done. Mm. And, you know, the hurt never stops, but it'll get better for you. Like mm. each, you see Bruce being able to tr- try to reach out to people throughout, whether it's Andre in this film, whether it's Dick Grayson, whether it's Harvey Dent, mm. like where we see him try to give the peace of mind to others that he can't give himself. Yeah. And on the same side, you see Alfred then being the one trying to give that same peace of mind mm. that's eluded Bruce to him that perhaps Alfred will never achieve for himself for, mm. you know, not being able to keep Bruce from going down this path in the first place. So like the layers of someone <laughs> trying to help someone while knowing that you really can't, help yourself in the same way i think it's very again you talk about something that has a lot of even though it's in this crazy superhero world with explosions and clowns and (laughs) you know gas gas teleporting and whatever like it's it's as as real as it gets like as as simple and identifiable human emotion of seeing pain in someone else's life and working to try to make make them whole while perhaps not being able to process that same sort of trauma or that same sort of regret or that same sort of sadness in your own life. Yeah. It's very, it's very, uh, you know, it's very relatable and it's very understandable how we see these different generations trying to, you know, protect each other while not really being able to, uh, to solve those same problems themselves. So, um, that all to say, yeah, I I'd probably give it a ten as well if I didn't if I didn't say that. Um, obviously, like we said, we're not changing our scores, but we we can disagree with our past selves. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I just think, like I said, I don't um, for for all the things we talked about. Um, obviously, this the story credit is is Alan Burnett. This was sort of his his brainchild. Um, um, but other other writers like Michael Reeves and I know Mar- Martin Pasco specifically, who has passed away, was specifically credited with all of the uh, flashback sequences. So mm-hmm. when when one of the most quoted lines from this is, "I didn't count on being happy," mm-hmm. that's that's a Martin Pasco line. I know there. So it's this was a very like bike, you know, a, a committee, uh, you know, a labor of love from all the folks involved making this. But it's just. All of all of these great writers and people with a, a real feel for the character, like you said, after we've seen so many different versions of Batman and Batman who uses guns and Batman who does this and Batman and again, there's not, none of them are a wrong take yeah. per se, um, but this version just being of really getting to who Batman is at the core, and also I think the, a, a mark uh, that I would put to this and also to the more recent uh, Robert Pattinson Matt Reeves one is. This movie's not afraid to have Batman be its main character. I yeah. think a lot of Batman films, because of how colorful and interesting the villains are, t- 
tend to focus on you know the batman 89 jack nicholson's the one on the marquee right. there like keaton is the second name yeah. on, that, on that poster for for good reason you know right. jack nicholson was a giant star at the time and and everything but it's like that movie is really more focused on the joker and batman returns and and all all of the various sequels a lot of them focus a lot more on on the villains and their their minutia and their psyches than it does on on batman and bruce oftentimes the the hot story or hot goss is going to be who what's the villain of the batman movie versus Mm -hmm. i mean there was a little bit in the matt reeves movie about uh you know Robert Pattinson, will he be a good Batman or not? But so much of it was about the focus on who's the villain going to be. You know, what's the what's the storyline with the villain for for the same purposes Mm -hmm. that you said. But this, uh, we obviously the Phantasm is a introduction into this story that only appears really one other time in the DCAU, right? uh, Not including like tie-in comic books and stuff like that, and wasn't. We'll talk about it in a minute in visuals, but was an original creation, so it wasn't didn't exist prior in the uh, depending on who you ask in right. the in the DC continuity and wasn't introduced into DC continuity until recently in the last couple years. So this is a character you wouldn't have known. Honestly, wasn't wasn't really the main focus for a lot of it. And then Joker's here, but he's he's kind of an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Like he's a supporting character for for most of the. Most of the uh, of the of the movie, he certainly uh, shares the stage in that final act. But uh, really, it's not a Joker. It's not a Joker movie. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's yeah. Like point. it's a fun. It's fun that he's here mm-hmm. because again, it's one of those things where, especially now looking back on this thirty years later, of course, Mark Hamill's Joker should be represented in you know, what is considered to be, like, one of the definitive pieces of this universe. Like, of, of course. course, it's great that the Joker's here. But, yeah, it's not it's not his story. Like we said, he has this sort of tangential connection because he was this low-level mob enforcer, uh, you know, working his way up through the underworld at the, at the, at the time of the, the events of the flashbacks, and then he gets sort of sucked back into the world as uh, as part of that. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun that he's there, but he certainly doesn't pull focus, really, at all. And then, yeah, it's 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 really above all else. It's not afraid to really focus on Bruce and focus on Batman and and where the line, which is a, always a very popular topic for people, where what's the you know Kevin Conroy always always spoke as as an actor about how he saw Batman as the true the true personality and Bruce Wayne as this face that he puts on, and, and various people have different thoughts on that. I know, but. It's it's interesting to see where where we start to see the, those two things meld into one. Right. And like obviously he does have this very boisterous, you know, uh, public face as we see at the start of the movie, but uh, you know where Bruce kind of begins to melt away and that uh, you know the, the 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 Batman personality comes out of all of these tragic uh, elements of his life and it's the it's just so. It's so good. It's so <laughs> yeah. It's really frustrating to co- try to come up with different ways to say this is good. This is really good, and I, but that's really I think what struck struck me this time, and I'm sure we we've touched on it before, but yeah, just the 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 not being afraid to really just make this a character study of Bruce, and then allowing Andrea to be a a darker reflection of what Bruce could have been, and and. Yeah. and and like you said, the sort of the chain reaction of him trying to pull her out of it while Alfred tries to pull him out of it. And 
and and all of that is just it's just wonderful um yeah so like i like i'm always like well if i were gonna nitpick things maybe you could be like well maybe andrea could have been more involved in that last fight because she just kind of disappear for like yeah. eight minutes while the joker and batman punch each other and then she she just kind of comes swooping back in at the end but honestly that's again that's just me looking for things to, to poke <laughs> at i feel like this time um but yeah, I think on this this most recent watch, I was just like, yeah, this is this is pretty perfect as far as a, and as far as a, a character study specifically of this Batman, also yeah. of of the Batman we we see in the show that we review every week and and that we see obviously later on go on to you know Justice League and all of that. But it's this is such an important chapter, and because as I'm sure we talked about at the time. There is no origin episode of this series. You right. Know, when we when we talked about on Leather Wings, he's just already Batman. Right. Everybody knows who Batman is. Yep. It's not a it's not a secret. Like and and we don't know. He's just he's there. He's in the cave. The first time we see him, he's reading the paper in the Bat Cave. Right. Like he's not. It's not established. You know, we don't get to see any sort of grand reveal of Batman really. So, um, I think all of that. So getting to see the 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 Batman Year One of this universe is also a lot of fun so agreed yeah there's just so much there's so much to uh to dig into on something like this that uh we perhaps didn't fully appreciate <laughs> at the at the time of our original review but i think we've uh we've delved into it quite a bit now agreed yeah i think we're we're almost at the length time length of our first episode already <laughs> here at the time it was like this is our longest episode ever it's 52 minutes and here we talked for the plot for about 52 minutes that was another thing we were scared of we were like we can't we can't talk too much people won't care about this right. it's like who cares <laughs> um all right Liam, but that will be a good transition as we move on to animation and visuals as you mentioned at the top uh two different animation studios responsible spectrum and dong yang and uh, you can kind of see the different sequences. Uh, definitely a bunch of storyboard artists, as we mentioned, uh, people that are get credited for different sequences. So we mm. we may have uh, this further broken down in an episode, in a future episode. So I don't want to. We don't have to yeah. go into it too heavily handed here. But essentially, because this was larger than your typical episode people got handed the responsibility of doing different sequences and storyboarding and then doing the director uh directing aspect of it uh so that's why we have sequence directors and Mm -hmm. a bunch of names attached to this and it was a good way to include and get everybody credits for the work that they're doing on this instead of just slapping directed by bruce tim or (laughs) you know or whoever so um that's why we end up with so many kind of hands in the pot here and uh, some of them names that are, are well known to, the, to people listening to this podcast. But uh, overall, we gave animation and visuals, uh, when we first reviewed this, 8 out of 10. And I think if I, again, hard to remember last week's episode, let alone 282 <laughs> episodes ago. But there's probably just the inconsistency because you have the long nose swoop back ear yeah. Batman in some sequences you have. So not everybody was on model throughout the entire Batman looks different throughout the entire movie. Right. right? Yeah. It, I don't think it was any speaking down to anything as far as the action, how people looked overall, mm-hmm. uh, the, the different sequences. Um, it's just for the sake of, of not rehashing things that we've talked about or perhaps we'll talk right. about. 
I think that there were just a couple of things that stood out to me as far as things that maybe I haven't noticed in rewatches. Um, the way that the phantasm moves in this, in her sequences are, mm-hmm. is just really, really done really, really well. Um, the, the one sequence where she's running on the rooftops as Batman jumps out of the bat plane to try and try and take her down. I love that sequence. Um, I love there the the one shot of uh, of Buzz and her in the in the uh, in the graveyard. Buzz Bronski. There's the this I pointed out to you. We watched it a couple of times, but the sequence mm-hmm. you hear hear her voice come across, and he's running away, and he's hiding, and he's got that that pickaxe he's hanging hanging with uh, mm-hmm. behind the wheelbarrow, and he pops up, and he looks out, and he doesn't see her, and then. It, in very much invoking like visuals that you would see in a horror movie, they cut to just the sickle on her on her hand, and it does this rotation where I it's you can see the way that she kind of manipulates it throughout. Mm-hmm. It does kind of rotate, but you just follow that rotate a little bit, and it's so spooky because the next shot is her kind of chopping the 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 pickaxe yeah. in half. Um, and there was some more subtle violence, I think, that I hadn't picked up before in the first first uh, first interaction with Chucky Saul. There's she slices across his hand, and there's there's definitely a, a very observable cut that you they didn't add blood to it. Again, yeah. they they kept this a PG film, but you could see a a, a pretty obvious gash from where she chops mm-hmm. the gun out of his hand. Um, just the things that the the team was able to do to both include more violence there is more blood in this than you would ever see in a in an episode of, of batman the animated yes. series <laughs> and more certainly more violence but just the brilliant ways that they were still able to use the t- the tricks that they were used to using for standards and practices to kind of either not show blood to kind of infer violence without showing things um, you mentioned the 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 scene of Andrea walking in on her father's dead body. Mm-hmm. It's more horrific trying to picture what you what she walked in yeah. on versus actually them showing you know a dead body there. Um, so some of the tricks and stuff like that. I it's it's a it's a it's a fun movie to look at, especially now that they've done the 4K mm-hmm. you know upgrades to everything. Um, there is still the inconsistency just because there are so many hands. Characters look different from scene to scene. Right. Um, some of it in the flashbacks you could explain away as a younger versions of people. Yeah. But Andrea kind of shifts her look in a couple of different different scenes back to back. But overall, I, I, I really enjoy this. It's it's a fun, you know, it's a fun thing to watch and look at. And even though there is that inconsistency, if you're watching it without sort of that critical eye, I don't think you would notice it. Mm-mm. But because we are, it that's the only I, thing. I think, yeah, I think the only time where it's really noticeable, it's in that first scene where the where Saul and the rest of the mobsters are talking about their counterfeit bills or whatever. Mm-hmm. Batman comes swooping in through the uh, through the window. It's very clearly the the. I think that's the Spectrum Batman because he looks like that in On Leather Wings with the, mm-hmm. the longer chin, the droopier nose, the longer swoop back ears, and then there's like a clo- it cuts to a close up of Batman, and it's it, and I don't know if this was a retake or or how that works or just because hey it's it's the first full image of Batman we want to make this really iconic and really 
you know, right off the, the model sheet, but it, it then it gets super square jawed and, you know, very much like the original character design. And then we're back to Spectrum Batman for the rest of that <laughs> sequence with the droopier nose and the longer chin and everything. And it's fine, but like that's the only time where like it if it shifts within the same scene, mm-hmm. then I do think that is a little bit distracting if you're freaks like us and right. and and know that sort of stuff. It may not it may not necessarily pop out as much otherwise. But Again, that's that's kind of looking for things to nitpick. I love. I mean, you already talked on the Bronsky sequence. The, the the shot that stood out to me is after she knocks him uh, into the grave, and he has this moment where he kind of like takes a sigh of relief because it seems like she, like phantasms disappeared, and then you hear the statue the statue from the grave begin to fall over, and they just cut to this shot of of Bronsky, and his face is mostly in shadow. We just see these horrified eyes and he's just clawing at the side of the wall and mm. again you talk about uh, images straight out of a horror movie oh it's, yeah it's you know and then you cut up to the camera of the of the statue with the big sword falling directly towards the camera is uh, just that yeah that sequence is really really stand out and incredible um and a good example i think of like a marriage of what they were going for with those really early episodes where everything is black on black like mm-hmm. there's so much shadow and and silhouette used in this but you can still see everything yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas some of those really early batmans like wow they're really disappearing into the background right. here because it's so so dark yeah so this uh, this also and again that i'm sure the 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 4k remastering and recoloration probably helps with that to an extent too but you still get that very moody noir you know, sh- shadows, black on black look, but you don't uh, you don't necessarily have to, to uh, strain your eyes to see what's happening on the screen <laughs> either. So it's a good happy medium for that. And then uh, the, the shot of like Phantasm pulling down the newspaper and you see Velestra's Joker mm-hmm. smile is, uh, I thought, really, really striking as well. And then uh, the, the whole sequence where Batman's chasing the Phantasm through the city is is quite good. I'm, I'm sure these are all things we touched on in uh, in, in in our previous review, but yeah, that's it's really really solid. Other than those those you know what you could call inconsistent models of of Batman, especially in this, there's not a lot that stands out to me. Uh, I know I know for a fact we've probably talked about this in our previous review and in what we'll be bringing you guys in in the coming weeks here. But the bit where Joker is reaching behind him while he's getting wailed on by <laughs> by Andre at the end, and you see him feel the the butcher knife. And then, and, and then it cuts, and he grabs the salami to hit her with instead. Yeah. Is like that, and that probably also goes back to writing. I, I'd have to assume that's a Paul Dini. Joke. Yeah, uh, but but just that's such a funny bit to put in there where the Joker is like he could just, you know, he could take a real shot at ending this yep. right here if he grabs the cleaver. But he's like, not funny. Not funny. It's funny if I hit her with the I sausage be... though. <laughs> like, yeah, he's really. I don't. That was another thing, and I think I noticed in this is just some of the. Between the faces, his interactions with Sal Valestra, mm-hmm. um, you know the the verbal sparring between him and him and Batman at the end, uh, some of the the puns that he uses and throws out, he's really funny. Like mm-hmm. he's really funny in this. So and every that sort of just puts the bow on it that everything about this character is funny, including his decisions. Like he goes for the comedy first. That's why he's the Joker. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's but, uh, very understated for sure. Yeah. So as far as the score, yeah, maybe, maybe I I would stick with like an eight or a nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Also, I mean, like, gosh, that that sequence in the cave alone where he puts on the mask for the first time. Yeah. Which, again, is one of the scenes where, like, I don't want to touch on it because we're going to talk about it in every other category. Right. Because the music's incredible. Ephraim Zimbalist is incredible in that scene. So we're going to talk about it in each category, it feels like. But, yeah, just that that sequence of completely cased in shadow and, you know, you see Alfred sort of hand him the hand him the mask and then he puts the mask on and then you get much like the you know the show opening to the to, you know to the to, to the tv series of the bat glare all close up and and alfred's horrified reaction to it it's like gosh for that alone i don't know how you know you, you, could, you could give it a 10 just for that scene and i'd be hard to argue it'd be hard to argue with you for it so agreed yeah there's a couple of those shots of the uh of the close-up of batman's eyes kind of you know, starting to squint mm-hmm. that are invoke that that original sequence. Um, one thing that I don't know that we talked about in the original review um, is sort of the disputed origins of both the story and some of the character designs uh, for Phantasm. As I alluded to, as we were talking about the story, Phantasm is technically a original character. Uh, but there is some some dispute, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, as to whether or not this was based on the Batman Year Two storyline, uh, which uh, actually happened in 1987. Mm-hmm. So obviously predated this, and that was a, uh, a story by Mike W. Barr, illustrated by Alan Davis, Paul Neary, Alfredo Alcala, Mark Farmer, and some guy named Todd McFarlane. <laughs> Never heard of him. Um, but yeah, and that was uh, Detective Comics 575 through 578, which you can mm-hmm. probably find on the wonderful DC Universe app. <laughs> it's a wonderful app. It's a wonderful gift to give somebody this holiday season. There you go. Uh, yeah, but uh, I can see it. Like, this is a person yeah. that has a sickle <laughs> that yes. they use, and there are some elements. Um, yeah, like, there's, so there's the main year two story, and then there's a sequel where, like, the original Reap, the Reaper, who is this character that exists that, as the villain of the story, like, his daughter comes back around, the, and, and a new Reaper appears at the same time. So there's, there's definite, like, they share elements. Sure. To point. Um, but... The create the the everyone the official work, line. right the official <laughs> line from Batman everybody that's worked on Mask of the Phantasm is uh, no collusion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, they they did not. This was not a reference that they used. They didn't lift anything from it. Uh, there's conflicting stories from other people claiming that they saw character designs coming. Through, you know, people that were working on character designs lifting directly from the uh from the year two comic books mm-hmm. so yeah there's a there's a there's actually a good thread on the, the artist formerly known as twitter by a friend of the show john trumbull who's worked on a, a lot of uh like he used to work on the old back back issue magazine and uh is something of a dcau historian but uh basically discussed that uh, mike barr claimed that he went to visit the office and saw people like basically writing and drawing while looking at a copy of Batman Year Two, which seems pretty blatant to do in front of the guy who wrote it. Right. But that was his claim. Um, I was going to say that's that's his story. That's his side of it. Right. <laughs> and then the the other side is and and John did he said he reached out to Bruce Tim, who denied it, but said he wasn't gonna like you know start a, a flame war over it either, and and just kind of let it let it go and. 
uh, Alan Burnett has always stated that uh, the Spider-Man villain Mysterio was a big influence, which I can definitely see that you can because see it with of the, the smoke, especially yeah. him coming out of the puffs of smoke and you know the cape and everything. Like you can see a little bit of that as well. So uh, I'll just say, yeah, I, I I understand why you could feel like that. And I believe Mike Mike Bart did write one episode of the animated series, that being paging the crime doctor, and apparently I'm not I'm not I'm not casting any aspersions on the man, but I. Apparently, both sides agree that the episode was pretty heavily rewritten from his original pitch. Um, so it just seems like maybe he didn't have a, a great time working with that uh, with that crew for whatever reason. You know, people don't always get along. When, for sure. Especially when you're creative and you have a specific idea in mind. So, yeah, I can see. I would just say if if they didn't have the same, like, Grim Reaper, if, if instead of a scythe she used, uh, you know, a butcher knife or something, sure. would we be... <laughs> Right, would we well, be saying it? Right, because the rest of it, like, you know, that there's no lost love from Bruce Wayne's past in, right. in Batman Year Two that comes back and turns out to be the bad guy or whatever. Like I said, there are there are certainly elements I can see that I can certainly see the comparisons. Like it's fun as a fan to 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 notice that and point it out. But as far as was there actual intent, was there actual lifting of ideas, uh uh, like I said, you can you can certainly say it's disputed. One side certainly believes that there that it was pretty blatantly taken, but the people that worked on the show uh, pretty pretty vehemently deny that. So that's that's where that leaves. Uh, <laughs> but it is something that always comes up for sure at, around the time of it's a, a on, phantasm anniversary. It's literally on the phantasm wiki page. Yeah. So, so there's. Like uh yeah like I said Al- Alan Burnett who's credited with the gets the main story credit though obviously as we said Paul you know Paul Dini and Michael Reeves and Marty Pasco all worked on the story as well with him uh, has said that he hadn't read the comic as of the time that he was writing the story so that's that's where that that is but yes. <laughs> now that we have both sides uh, I also think that as visually as we mentioned. Uh, I like the Phantasms look better than the Reaper, who is the villain of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the Reaper, Reaper... is like a very 70s or like even 60s, uh, like 60s comic Batman. Right. Like a, you know, Carmine, Carmine Infantino era. It's, it's very Technicolor and bright. Yep. And... This is this is much more on brand for this show. So <laughs> yes, uh, I would pick the phantasm look any day. But the Reaper, the Reaper story, it's definitely worth picking up oh, if yeah, you year haven't looked at comic. Year Two. Is very interesting. If you haven't, uh, everybody loves Year One, but if you haven't mm-hmm. read Year Two, that certainly uh, certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't say don't go out of your way uh, to uh, to read it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely check it out if you have not done so. Very interesting. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you, Liam. I think I would probably still hang around uh a nine-ish or so maybe bump mm-hmm. it up a point but it's really hard when you get into some of those iconic sequences <laughs> the chucky soul like the first time that you see the phantasm mm-hmm. it is sort of it's borderline terrifying yeah. the sequence in the graveyard is really incredible yep the sequence with bruce in front of the i mean you have sequences here that are absolutely iconic bruce in the rain you know crying to his parents we talk mm-hmm. about that every time that we we come upon right. it it's... and then as he's pleading for a sign that it's okay she walks in with an umbrella like... right and the the bat she and then says i was sent here by right you sent here by your parents so and then the bats coming out during the engagement um you know bruce's sort of disappointment when he gets the ring sent back mm-hmm. um 
you know, his him being completely dejected in that final scene and Alfred coming down, sort of kneeling down to him like almost like a child, like getting yeah. down on his level. There's so much subtlety that's done there. And then the the mirror that continues throughout as we have her at the end on the on the boat looking out over the water after she says that she's alone and then we cut to Gotham and it's Bruce looking up at the bat signal also alone you know you get the the mirror the mirror doesn't stop simply because they're they're right. they're no longer in each other's lives so uh yeah i i, I think I don't necessarily disagree with myself, but if I were if it were today and I was scoring this, I would probably give it a ten based <laughs> on the sequences that we talked yeah, about. Yeah, I think the good is just so strong that it outweighs any 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 negative or any anything that we talked about that's that's sort of nitpicking it. I think it's just the highs are so high that it's hard to argue with it. Agreed. All right, Liam, let's move on to what may be the most embarrassing <laughs> revisited category for both of us uh looking back at music here as you mentioned at the top the late great shirley walker this is uh this is a miscarriage of justice uh, i'm talking about my own score here and you recounted that this was uh maybe the the first piece of negative feedback we ever received <laughs> on the podcast with somebody berating True. you about your score given this uh welcome to twitter slash x by the way um yeah so I gave music a seven, and you gave mm. music a six. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I demand a recount. <laughs> um, I would, uh, I would, uh, I would definitely give this a ten. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, it is great. We uh, we remarked as we were watching it this time. The Joker theme is only used one time. They kind of revert to the the piano theme that also appears in Joker. Fish? I was. Say Joker Fish, yes, definitely Joker Fish. When the newspaper spinning, I think. Yep, yep, for sure. It's more of a of a of a piano, and then later when the cat walks in Mm -hmm. and he's carrying the Joker Fish, yeah, for sure. Um, They revisit that 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 same theme, but yeah, the the traditional Joker theme is incorporated, but we get that more stanza of the 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 keys played. Obviously, the late, great Shirley Walker did an incredible job of yeah. doing a choral version of her Batman theme. Right, which uh, is, I think, I don't know if we've talked about it on our show, but what they are singing is uh, is the, the names of the, the crew who worked on the show <laughs> and, you know... And, and, and the other composers and musicians as well, I think. So yep. you know, they're singing, I think it's put backwards. She wrote them backwards or something like that, um, yeah. And uh, I, 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 like I said, we might have a little more on that later in the later in the month. But uh, yeah, just so a, a way to kind of give give a little extra credit to everyone. But yes, that from the opening like sequence over that, oh, we didn't talk about the weird CGI city at the beginning. That is like, yeah. that's the only thing that doesn't age well visually in this <laughs> I feel like whatever they did with the 4K, it sort of I don't know if they just increased like the uh, the, the the shadow or whatever. It does sort of. I mean, obviously, you don't have it throughout. You don't have no. 2D animation, uh, you know, interacting on top of it. It is just sort of the swooping through Gotham at the beginning, and then. So I I won't nitpick it as much, but you're right. It does. Uh, as far as like 3D, they reuse 3D animation in the follow-up to this movie, which was right. Batman Sub-Zero, far more heavily than they did uh, in this, as they only did the opening sequence. But yeah, it does kind of, it's like, what is this? But you could but argue yes, it's the, just the t- But yeah, who cares about what's on the screen? Because you're listening to the beginning of that, uh, that <laughs> score with the, you know, with the very strong percussion at the start oh, man, as the well. the drums, and, baby. 
and the way they, they it builds up to that uh, you know to that main Batman theme we're so familiar with and the way it's played I mean it, again we're gonna talk about that same scene again but when he when he puts the cowl on for the first time the way it's played it's played so somberly mm-hmm. in that moment like mm-hmm. you really get the sense of it being like what we've just been talking about for the you know for the first hour or so here is of that the tragedy and the weight of of what this decision to put on this cow means for for Bruce like the way the music tells that story in that in that moment even though again it's the same piece of music we hear all the time but played in a way we've never heard it before which is right. one of you know one of Miss Walker's great uh, you know great skills as a as a composer was you know not only you know writing a piece of music but then being able to use it in so many different ways to invoke so many different emotions. Because again, we hear it again later, and it's very triumphant, and it's very dramatic. And you know, we hear it right at the very end. It kind of picks up tempo, and you get the drums going a lot faster as he's, he sees the bat signal, and he swoops off into action at the very end of the movie. So it's, it's used in such a variety of ways to invoke different feelings and different emotions um, for one for one piece of music to be used that effectively, um, I don't know if it still survives. On one of the the soundtrack uh, they released, there's like a there's like a ten minute like kind of interview with Shirley where hmm. she talks about specifically the Batman theme and like I think it's called like like Batman theme suite or something mm-hmm. one hundred one or something. I, it, I think it's still on YouTube, but just her talking kind of playing the song and talking about how it can transition into this theme it can do this it can be played minorly here it can be, we can you know move it up an octave here and it's just like the way that what a brilliant mind she mm, had absolutely. again we we you know we sing her praises every chance we get for good reason she's you know she's the goat but listening to how many different ways they were able, she used that one piece of music that iconic batman theme over and over and how different it felt each time you heard it is uh, just gosh, it's incredible. And that's and that's just the tip of the iceberg, as you said. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of piano. There's a lot of other strings used in the in some of the flashback sequences before he's in. You know that that action sequence where he's in the ski mask before he's in the bat suit and he's mm-hmm. trying to stop the the robbers or whatever. Fant- every every scene that the phantasm mm-hmm. is about to kill one of these mobsters, it's just creepy. Like mood setting choral organ, yeah, things being used to talk about like invoking like like silent film horror, like mm-hmm. you know you know ghosts and vampires and things like that. Like yeah. yes, it's yeah. As far as just mood setting throughout is is really incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's uh like like I said, this is the one that we look back on. And you're like, ugh, man, I I don't know what I was thinking. Other than the built in excuses that we sort of addressed at the beginning, where we're like. We're not sure where to give a ten yet. Like, what is what is it? You know, what is a ten? Um, so yeah, I think I think for for all of the the things that you just pointed out, uh, the overall scoring of an entire movie, the that that the the part that we I think when we originally reviewed this that we pointed out the Joker laugh that we get with the uh, you know as as uh, Andrea is holding him at the end when the mm-hmm. final explosion goes up and he realizes that his death is imminent and he just th- throws his head back and laughs yeah. like the the choral music played with the 
I guess it's strings and horns and whatever mm-hmm. else is going there. That just kind of this intensity is is increasing as the the final seconds tick down to this bomb exploding and everything being engulfed. One way or another, it ends tonight. Goodbye, my love. Like it's just Absolutely. just ridiculously good. Uh, so yeah, this is one I would definitely have <laughs> wish I could have have back. I would give it a ten out of ten. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for music, uh, for all of the things that we talked about, and probably a dozen more sequences uh, that uh, that we haven't talked about. So uh, yeah, that's one uh, one I wish we could do a redo. Uh, <laughs> I would I would take a mulligan on that one if I could. Yeah, agreed. All right, Liam, let's wrap things up here with our final category of the week, which is going to be our voice acting. And, uh, you know, we have uh, we have some interesting voice actors and actresses. We talked about it at the time. This this uh, this film, uh, unfortunately, falls to the uh, falls victim to the same voice being recast in a very memorable <laughs> voice later on yes as we have uh as we have dana delaney here uh, in her role as, as andrea slash uh, uh the, the the true identity of the phantasm um now i will say we gave voice acting a nine out of ten mm-hmm. both of us the first first go round. i think based on uh kevin conroy's performance the late great kevin conroy's performance alone in the sequence with at the graveside his back and forth with alfred at the end and mm-hmm. Ephraim zemblis jr's incredible as you mentioned not a huge role for him but yeah. every appearance that he makes whether it's like making subtle jokes as batman gives him the 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 uh the scientific information <laughs> about the the gas that's found on the glass right. uh or you know the consolation at the end as he's trying to trying to pull Batman back and get him to realize that he can't save everyone that doesn't want to be Mm -hmm. saved. Um, Man, those two together, those two in isolation, uh, even, honestly, even Dana Delaney, obviously so recognizable as Lois Lane, in this role, it's (sighs) her, her expressing, like, her sadness and her, her shock when her dad has to break the news to her that they got to get out of town. It's like, no, we're going to get married. Like, yeah, I found the person, my person, like all of that, man, this cast just knocks it out of the park. I, yeah. The, the line that really stood out to me this time is at the end when, when, when Batman, yeah, the, the, what will vengeance solve, uh, conversation between Batman and Andrea at the, uh, at the world's fair. And she just looks you know, she looks at him and she says, look what they did to us. Mm-hmm. Like, and she sort of gestures, you know, to him standing there in a bat suit and her in this, you know, Grim Reaper outfit. Like, look, like, look what happened to us because of their actions. 
um, like and you know they had they had to pay like it's so mm-hmm. like that moment where you see the mania of uh, like of, of these decisions and what they've done to her you know her psyche as well as as you see her become a little bit more unhinged toward the end and then like it's again it's it's very iconic with that last line as she looks up as you know Batman is calling out to her and shouting Andrea and then she just says goodbye my love and Mm -hmm. and they disappear into the smoke as Mark Hamill's Joker cackles away with wild abandon like it's such a a tour de force by our you know our our three our three main actors here but it's it's great um other other notes to mention obviously Stacey Keach uh you know a veteran veteran stage and screen actor uh most famous for shouting my stockpiles in that episode of Zeta (laughs) Uh, didn't, Bessie didn't think you were getting there. Like, this is like the third time I brought up the Zeta project on this episode. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But uh, no, but uh, but yeah, him as the voice of first of, of, of Carl Beaumont, but also as the ghostly, echoey voice of the Phantasm, obviously, is the the mystery. That's something I also thought about. I'm just my thoughts are a little scattershot here, but they they don't at any point try to convince the audience that batman is the one killing these like you see right. the phantasm immediately right um but they do do i think a pretty good job trying to put yourself in the mind of someone who hasn't seen this before mm-hmm. of making it and obviously with it being voiced by the same guy of making right. you think oh it could be andrea's father yeah up until the va- i mean the identity of who this person is really doesn't seem that important un- until you get the second killing and then the third killing and then you kind of get more of the backstory yes. of this mob group together. It's it's more about Batman's innocence. It feels like at first it's like you yeah. got to get Batman like they need to see that this is a different person in costume. But the motive for the person killing these guys as that becomes more clear, then it becomes more interesting as to who the voice is and why and then matching that up with oh this is the same guy this mm-hmm. is the same voice of the guy that was in the office. Now it makes sense. They're on the run. They ruined his life. He's got to kill these guys before they kill him. That makes sense. So, yes, having him do the voice of, mm-hmm. of the Phantasm. And that that first opening, like, line of Chucky Saul is mm-hmm. so good. Like, I will never I, – I think I'll be on my deathbed and remember Chucky Saul's name because yeah. of that. Chucky Saw. Batman! How'd you get here? Your angel of death awaits. You ain't the bat! Who, who are you? What do you want? I want you, Chucky boy. Batman, yeah, and, and him throwing or her technically, but Stacy Keach's voice throwing the uh, you know when Bronski said, "Oh, you always were a loser, Chucky," and then and then the Phantasm throwing that back at Bronski when he's dropped him into oh, the so grave, good. and you always were a loser, Mister Bronski. Like incredible, but yeah. So, so I say all the mobsters are great. You have Abe Vigoda as Sal Valestra, Dick Miller as Chucky Saul, John Ryan as as Buzz Bronski, and then you have some of as we mentioned our 
regular series uh, regulars like Bob Hastings as Gordon briefly. You wish he got more. I feel like I feel like I would have liked to have seen yeah. Gordon be more active in this story. Yeah, he is a little like bit pushing of a back backseat. against uh, Bullock, Robert Costanza, of course, and and Arthur Reeves, who uh, voiced by Hart Bachner, of course, the son of Lloyd Bachner, who plays Mayor Hill on the show. Um, who is uh, is also just great slime ball, My just goodness. an absolute, just an absolute creep in the. <laughs> and we we won't go into extreme detail again. We keep alluding we have something really special planned mm-hmm. for the rest of the month here, but his his sequence in the in the bed after he's injected with the Joker toxin, and he's like. He's like stifling a laugh while saying "Oh no" as he sees Batman <laughs> yeah. come into his room. Is so good, yes. man. Oh, I I can't imagine the difficulty level of like trying to communicate fear and and this like laughter at the same time. Yes. Like the, yes, the, it's 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 great. Yeah. yeah, him him sort of trying to rationalize his decisions to. To sell out the Beaumonts to to Valestra and the rest of the mob, and oh, they just wanted their money back. And, and while I was he's broke, ha- and, and at the same time he's giggling, <laughs> he's having this laugh time. attack. Like, yeah, it's 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 an incredible uh, incredible work from uh, from Mr. Bachner there. And then as just a, a fun aside, as some of our uncredited uh, voice actors or people that were labeled under. Uh, additional voices: Arlene Sorkin, voice mm-hmm. voicing Bambi. As uh, I think I was you pointed say, that out yeah. while we were watching it, we she, hadn't even looked it up yet. Eye for engagement. That's how. That's I, right. how I remember her. Uh, Mary Lou Henner, who of course is Veronica Vreeland. Mm-hmm. Not clear exactly. I, it doesn't. It doesn't look like Veronica who throws the drink in Bruce's face, but that's certainly Veronica's voice. Miss uh, Miss Henner there, um, as well as uh, Jeff Glenn Bennett, who we talk about all the time on this show, as a. Uh, one of the you know the stalwarts of uh, really of I think of all, just all I think he, especially it feels like Warner Brothers voice actor for sure he's, he shows up everywhere and another I think he's I think he's like the the cop who radios down to like Batman stay where you are yeah there you go at, at one point in the in the helicopter or whatever so yeah there's a there's yeah it's it's a wealth of talent I don't again I couldn't imagine giving this anything other than a ten these days yeah. but. Um, just because, and again, just the the cast alone, and to your point, like knowing Dana as, Dana Delaney as Lois so well, and what a you know perfectly cast Lois she is, having her play, it, I mean, you again, there's no doubt about who this is. Like she has a Miss Delaney has a very very recognizable voice, mm-hmm. but there's never a point where it feels like oh this is this is just Lois talking. Like right, she feels very even though she sounds the same the her inflections and the you know the way what she says and how she says it doesn't you know it doesn't feel like it's just a carbon copy of of lois even though the voices are so similar so uh yeah i don't i don't know how i could give this anything other than 10 (laughs) but apparently i did some uh both of us 282 episodes that's right we uh we wear this one together as we both (laughs) uh both somehow manage not to give us a perfect score our empire of dirt that's right that's right um yeah so totaling up both of our scores. Now you did give a bonus point on the original airing, Lammy. It looks like there was a bonus point for Alan Burnett. You gave a uh, bonus point. I don't remember what specifically th- about I Alan Burnett. I think early on, again, before we were good at like crediting the yeah. people who worked on this show as well. He's just a name that I think people you will often hear people talk about. Bruce Tim, mm-hmm. deservedly so. Paul Dini, especially, you know, gets mentioned a lot now. I don't think, and even now. I still don't think uh, Alan probably gets as much credit as he deserves as far as 
being a guy who kind of held the ship together. Sure. If you if you watch the documentary that came on the on the the BTAS Blu-rays, you know there's a lot about how Gene McCurdy kind of she had Eric Radomski and Bruce Tim, these incredibly brilliant young men, but neither of them had run a show before, mm-hmm. and how Alan coming on as a producer really made the show and he was kind of the glue that held that helped hold that again and then also obviously as a as a great writer in his own in his yeah. own right here in this in this case especially so i'm guessing that's what it was about just making sure that you know we we should mention alan burnett's name probably just as much as we mentioned bruce tim and eric radomsky and and paul dini and gene mccurdy and all of these these incredible people like the the show wouldn't the show and this film would not be what they were without uh, without Alan Burnett, so uh, always uh, always always happy to give him an extra shout out. There so. you go. Uh, so those original scores were thirty two and thirty one out of forty. I think looking at our, if we were to revise those scores based on what we gave today, we would come up close to a thirty eight, thirty nine, mm-hmm. maybe a forty out of forty. <laughs> uh, if uh, if we were looking at this here, so uh, overall, I think uh, looking back at it. We probably didn't get this one completely right. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that we, with the benefit of hindsight and how we appreciate these things and the ability to, to when we see something we really like, stand on our soapbox and mm-hmm. defend our scores. Um, that's kind of where we are now. And if you don't like our scores, then you can come tweet at us, but, um, or post at us or whatever it's called now. Uh yeah. So I, I I think I think with the benefit of hindsight, clearly this remains one of if not the best Batman film of all time. Yes. Um it there's a reason why people point to that. We're certainly <laughs> not the first nor will we be the last no. to say that. Um there are people that are hardcore Batman fans and people that are just general like you know lightweight batman fans that will point to this film Mm -hmm. as a as a uh, pinnacle of of great batman storytelling so uh to that to that i think all of the people that worked on this from the artists the the directors everybody certainly should get their flowers for this because it remains 30 years later uh an incredible piece that is worth revisiting Mm -hmm. it's worth talking about and by golly, if somehow you haven't seen this, or maybe it's been, maybe it has been six years since right. you watched this, uh, it's. I think it's well worth throwing on whatever streaming service you have if it's on there. If you have the Blu-ray, put it on. Like watch. It's an hour and twelve minutes. Too. That's the say, other thing. Yeah, it's, it's it moves at a clip. Like it's, it's it is it does not it does not drag at any point. Um, it's a great story overall around. It's a great mm-hmm. thing to watch, listen to, all that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there's a last thing I want to mention. We put up the clip on our Instagram this week. We may have touched on it in our original review, but there's a great clip of uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert talking about this film from there. At, at the time, was a syndicated like show where they would just talk about the movies of the week that were coming out or whatever. And they actually talked about this, I think, just after Batman Forever had come out. So years after it had been in theaters. Yeah, three, and, probably two and, or three years yeah. after. And, uh, and, they, and they both, they credit this film along with, like, you think about the, the Disney renaissance of the 90s with The Lion King and Aladdin and all those as being a sign to them of, like, oh, animation, people are starting to realize that animation isn't just a vehicle to, to you know, distract your kids for right. for an hour or 90 minutes like right. this like animation you can tell stories and these these are real characters and you feel for them and you they think and they pause and they they have uh, i i just loved hearing you know two people that are kind of giants of that 
of that film critic industry who mm-hmm. I believe have both passed away since. Mm-hmm. But uh, just hearing them discuss it, and again, people that aren't so bogged down like we are, <laughs> like there's there's no way we can imagine what this this movie would be like to someone who's not in the bubble because sure. we're so deep into the bubble. Absolutely. So hearing these two people who their job is to watch and review movies and, you know, or, you know, going to all these film festivals and everything. And they sat down and watched it and went, Oh, this was, this is wonderful. And like on par with some of the, you know, the best animated children's films yeah. of maybe the best, arguably the best era of animation, at least American animation ever. Yeah. And like hearing, hearing them say that, I was like, okay, so yeah, this is, <laughs> this is it. This is, this is kind of the pinnacle, I think in a lot of ways of what, all of, as you said, all of these incredible people from, you know, from Dan Reba and Kevin Altieri and, and Michael Gogan and, and Frank Parr, all the way up to Bruce and Eric and everyone. It's like, it's just, this is, this is, this is a, this is a masterpiece. And as far as rewatchability, <laughs> I, I don't think it's even a question, right? No, it's a double, it's, 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 it's two it's, thumbs up yes. in honor of Siskel and Ebert. Absolutely. There's no, there's no denying it's, it's incredibly important to, this Batman character to the Batman series is a companion piece to that. As you said, it's it's our first look at who Batman was before he was Batman. It's a ton of backstory for Bruce. And then it's also just, you know, probably the best Batman movie ever made. So <laughs> for those reasons, uh, above all else. And yes, as mentioned, the Phantasm does return, albeit in, in minor ways and in some tie-in <laughs> comics. This character has a like a phantasm has sort of <laughs> haunted the the Batman mythos and even making her way finally after several decades a couple of years ago into uh, the mainstream DC uh, continuity. So this is uh, this is this is an incredibly important story that I think you have to watch. In fact, if you were like what if you were only ever going to watch one thing from this universe, I think it's this. Yeah, you got like, to. <laughs> yeah. Like if could... I if you were like I'm only ever going to watch this, I won't watch I won't watch yep. any other shows, any yep. other movies. What's one thing I should watch from this? It's this. Yes. Because it's everything that's great about it and yep. what's what's unique about it. You don't need any backstory. Yep. It's all self-contained. Um yeah. Uh, I I agree wholeheartedly with you, Liam great uh, great way to uh, to wrap up our re-review here thank you everybody for tuning in for this re-review don't forget as we mentioned at the top we would love your support for the podcast and there are multiple ways to do that we'll run through those very quickly you can of course leave a five-star review on your podcast app of choice if that is spotify uh great there's actually some polls that are exclusive there and a question of the week that you can interact with as well we'd love to hear your thoughts on those and then of course if you're listening on apple Apple, leave a five-star review with a little blurb about what you like about the podcast, and uh, we will follow up with you at some point uh, if you live here in the continental United States with a little gift as a thank you. Uh, you can also support the podcast through the two direct links in our show notes. One is a direct link to support the podcast monetarily. Uh, as we get towards the end of the year here, shout out to our supporters. Thank you to those that support us monthly. Uh, you know who you are, and we're thankful for you. Uh, and uh, you can join them if you'd like to with a direct link there. Any little bit helps Liam and I as we uh, as we continue to uh, to to create more content and more podcasts for your enjoyment mm-hmm. in the years to come. Uh, you can also check out the link to our store. I'm sure there's probably still holiday sales happening there. You can check that out. Our goal is to have more uh, unique, funny gear to to grab in the the upcoming year as well. We'll be working on that. 
Liam. Uh, people can also follow us on social media, as we mentioned at the top. Uh, mm-hmm. You've really taken the helm on that, on the artist formerly known as Twitter, now X. You can follow us at DCAU Review. Lots of great celebrations happening with Aquafantas Month. Absolutely. And, uh, and, of course, everything else that's happening in the DC Universe, good way to interact with us there. There are still some good opportunities to chat with fun people just about things that really aren't as divisive as everything else that you would yeah. find. Yeah, <laughs> most of the time. Most of the time. Uh, <laughs> yes, no, it's yeah, it's always a lot of fun interacting with people, especially with this, something like this, something so seminal like Mask of the Phantasm. Love to hear from anybody, especially like, did you see, were you one of the lucky few who got to see this in the theaters? Not a lot of people saw it. It mm-hmm. was a... Uh, uh, it was a it was a quick and uh, uneventful release, but uh, were you one of those people who got to see it while it was in theaters? Maybe on one of the re-releases years later, um, and just where does this rank on your all-time across all genres Batman movie list? Um, would love to hear from you. So yeah, at DCAU Review on Instagram and uh, and uh, X slash Twitter, you can always. Uh, Reach out to us there and let us know what you think. Absolutely. And Liam, that will bring us here to the end of the episode as we look forward to next week's episode. Now, next weekend here, at least in the original airing date, is going to be the Christmas holiday weekend. So Mm -hmm. we will be taking a break from our standard episodes. However, just as it was with Thanksgiving, it's the season of giving. And here at the DCAU Review, we are not leaving our listeners empty-handed, as we've alluded to several times (laughs) this episode, several dozen times maybe. It still is Aqua Phantasm Month, need we remind everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have thrown together something. We are revisiting, going to the archives and pulling out uh, one of our bonus episode formats that we've not visited in quite some time. With a uh, a return of the discuss this league, it's a uh, a panel format where we're talking about uh, you know talking about a central topic, and boy howdy, uh, you can probably guess the topic that we're discussing. But uh, man, our special guests are uh, man one one you've heard on the podcast several times before, and another one is a first timer. But uh, can't wait to get their perspectives on it. That's right, Cal. So uh, not too long ago, we were fortunate enough to be joined by not only good friend of the show, Kevin Altieri, once again, but also his uh, his cohort, uh, his partner in crime, his co-director of this very film, that being Dan Reba, joining us for the first time on our show. Uh, very excited to have them both on for Discuss This League. We have a lengthy conversation with both Kevin and Dan together. As far as we know, and we asked them about this, I think their first ever interview together yeah. uh, is going to be next week on this show. So we talk a little bit about when they first met, what they worked on together before they even joined Batman Animated Series, and then going all the way forward to their work on this movie and having to scramble to get it ready for a for a wider theatrical release when it was originally scheduled to be a... Uh, a straight video release and how uh, all the, the crunch and growing pains that come with that sort of scenario. Uh, great, uh, great to talk to both of them. And like we said, it's a, it's a pretty unique environment having them both on together. So really looking forward to sharing that episode. The return after literally like two and a half years of Discuss This League with our special guests, our, our panel of experts, those being Kevin Altieri and Dan Reba. It's going to be a blast. Our special gift to all of our listeners. Cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. But until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.